to his challenging us this morning. So, Brother Vanderhoof, the time is yours, sir. Well, it is an honor to have a pastor's morning service. That's I'm blessed. Hope you will be this morning as you come with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. Also, I'd like for you to get your memory verse out again, if you would, please. I tell you, I have a few stories now of Brother Stephen <clears throat> when they came to see us. I've learned that he likes spaghetti, especially spaghetti ice cream. Now this is not what you think, right, Zaley? <clears throat> um, this is ice cream shoved through a noodle maker that makes it look like spaghetti noodles. Then you take, I'm making us hungry now. I know I'm making you hungry. <clears throat> then you take strawberry preserves and strawberry syrup and you drape that over all of that ice cream noodle laying on your plate. Then you can take coconut on top of that. That's your Parmesan cheese and you have spaghetti ice cream. In German it's spaghetti ice. Ice cream is called ice. E-I-S. So... <clears throat> I have a few stories about Zaley too. I, one thing we learned is not to play Dutch Blitz with Zaley. You will always, always, always lose. <clears throat> Zaley, it's good to see you again. Jill and I rejoice to see you again. And it's wonderful to hear your piano playing. Um, we know what it's like in our church not to have a piano player. Before she came, we had a man by the name of Teo Hertz who played the piano. Now, Teo um, has a gift from God that's unbelievable as far as music and the piano is concerned. He grew up playing in a band. God saved him and changed his music. And he became our piano player. And uh, would you know that he has diabetes? And he was playing the piano with numb fingers. He couldn't feel the keys. His feet were numb. He could not feel the pedal. But he still played and never missed a beat because he was always watching where his fingers go instead of watching me and following me. So I had to follow Teo. And, uh, but eventually Teo couldn't come anymore to church. And uh, we lost our piano player. So we were singing a cappella from then on. So the ministry of piano player in a church is one of the greatest ministries a church could ever have apart from the preaching of God's word. Music is part of worship. Zaley's helped us to do that today, helped us for three summers in a row there at Niedegen to help us worship, the God, worship God properly and in a, in a holy way. And I'll bring that word holy up because that's in your verse. You have your verse in front of you? 
You don't have to put it up here. That's okay. Just pull it out. <clears throat> it says, our, whole, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him. Because, who have you trusted in? His holy name. And I'm not going to preach today on missions. You already know all about that. What you need to hear is where missions comes from, and that's out of a heart and right relationship with God. Adoniram Judson, when he went back to England, never, um, never preached on missions. He preached about our relationship with God. I want to talk about that today as we look at the Israelites and their relationship with God. We're in Exodus chapter 19. The title of this message is Behold Our God. Let's pray. Father, give us grace today to understand your word. Give us hearts today with open ears attached to them. Give us ears to hear with an obedient heart attached to them. Help us to understand what the Holy Spirit has for us today because when we open the Bible and read it, you are speaking to us. So we ask God that you speak to us this morning through your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Before I read anything out of the Bible, I have some questions for you. <clears throat> when you think about God... What kind of image of him forms in your mind's eye? <clears throat> Just think about that for a minute. What, come, what immediately comes up front in your, in your thoughts? Is he someone, well, let's put it this way, is he a friend standing by your side? Is he a strong protector? We have experienced that. No doubt you have too. Is he someone who takes care of you? All of these things are true about God, and we like to major on the characteristics of God that give us comfort. However, it is most important to understand how God thinks of himself and how he has introduced himself in the Bible. So how did God introduce himself to the children of Israel? We're in Exodus chapter 19. Look at verse 4. God is speaking here to Israel through Moses, and God says here, right here in 19, Exodus 19, verse 4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. And that verse in itself, I have a whole message on that one. I'm not preaching that one today. How I brought you unto myself. Now look at verse 7. We'll read through verse 25. Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. <clears throat> and Moses came... And called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord God commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people 
unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that you go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not an hand touch it. But he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man. It shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mountain and the mountain and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the unto the Lord, the people cannot come up to the mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee, but let not the priest and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest the, he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people, and spake unto them. Folks, God is holy. And we find here in verses 10 through 15 that God gives precise instructions about the personal holiness of the people. God has some very precise instructions for the people. They are to sanctify themselves for the coming or for the upcoming meeting with God. The word sanctify means to set apart, 
set apart for a specific purpose. The people were to wash their clothes. Much could be made of this. <clears throat> However, let us say that how we dress when we come to church demonstrates our respect for God or lack of our respect for God. If we respect God, we will want to honor him in our appearance. You say, well, God looks on the heart. That's right. And the heart affects the outside. You can't get away from that. If we respect God, we will want to honor him in our appearance. That means there will never be a fashion show. There will never be anyone coming in here unless he's a farmer in overalls who just got finished milking the cows. That's okay. I've been there, done that. <laughs> we should always be giving him our best in our appearance because we carry his name. We are his representatives. Are you a representative of God? Have you ever viewed yourself that way? There is also a spiritual aspect to this washing. It indicates generally the thoroughness of cleansing or the thoroughness of the cleansing process a Christian undergoes when he surrenders himself, soul, body, and spirit to God. It was a preparation of the person spiritually to meet God. And all of this points to an aspect of God that is most important. He is holy. And if you believe that God is holy, then you will want to keep yourself holy. So God not only gives precise instructions about the personal holiness of the people, God gives precise instructions about his own holiness. Look at verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> First in verse 9, God said that he would come down to the mountain. Right? Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. He's coming down to the mountain. Now look at verses 12 and 13. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it, Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. Kind of reminds you of touching the Ark of the Covenant, doesn't it? And God is a symbol of God's presence. There sh shall not an hand touch it, but it shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to 
Now watch this. God told Moses to set bounds for the people not to cross and touch the mountain. What is God saying? He is saying the same thing he told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Take off your feet, your shoes, for the ground upon which you stand is what? Holy ground. Why was it holy? Because God was there. Where is he in your life? Literally. Inside. With you. In that body of yours. Which means your body is what? Holy ground. Amazing thought, isn't it? I just, I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that Jesus, who was in that burning bush, Jesus, who was in that cloud, who was that cloud in that pillar of fire, and God Almighty, Adonai, who, who came down on top of that mountain, is in here with me. Uh, uh, that's just uh, an awesome thought that just blows this puny little brain of mine. It should blow your brain apart, too, in your understanding. It should go far beyond what you can even mentally grasp. By the way, the word worship means to fall down. <laughs> we should all be falling down on our knees, worshiping God about this. Dear brethren and sisters, God lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And what does that say about your body? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have a God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are yours. No, which are God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 17 through 20. We should keep our bodies holy and separated vessels unto the Lord. What does this look like practically in our lives? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we avoid fornication and adultery. We avoid habits and lifestyles that would harm God's temple and bring shame to his name. We bring into our lives that which promotes a holy life. Come with me. Leave something in Exodus. Come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at that just for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 through 20. <clears throat> Verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. This is a marriage term, by the way. Think about that. For he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. 
Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The most important attribute of God is his holiness. The word holy is used 600, a total of 611 times in the Bible in 544 different verses. It means physically pure. It means morally blameless. It means ceremonially consecrated. It means separated or set apart from something and set apart unto something. When talking about God, we could apply this word to him in the following way. God is separated from his creation physically, morally, and ceremonially. He is set apart from it. He is physically pure, sinless. He is morally blameless, he is ceremonially sinless, and he is separate from all sin. And 1 John chapter 5, or chapter 1, verse 5 says it best. He is, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. It's amazing, amazing thought. So let's apply this personally. Are you physically pure? Do we do things that hurt our bodies? Are we morally blameless? You may not be involved in physical immorality, immorality, but what about your thought life? Are you separated from sin? When you do sin, do you immediately confess it to God? Or are you in the habit of carrying around unconfessed sin in your life? If we carry around unconfessed sin in our lives, we're not separated from sin. For us today, we could apply that in the following way. Do I have unconfessed sin in my heart now? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins to God. Am I trying to intentionally separate and stay away from sin and sinful habits by repenting of these things before God and confessing my sins to Him? And not just on the days that we have the Lord's table. Because if you do that, that's very Catholic. If you have a biblical Christianity, you will be doing what the what one lady says, I fess them as I does them. That's good theology. Maybe not good grammar, but that's the best theology I've ever heard. I fess them as I does them. 
God commands us to be holy. God is holy. So are we to be. In Jesus Christ, our standing before God is holy because Jesus is holy. Never be satisfied with your standing because God is not. He wants you to work that practically out in your life. We are to live out this holiness in our lives practically in all corners of our lives. This is what God means when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me read that for you. You can turn there if you can turn there as quickly as I can. 1 Peter, or I can read it for us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Here it is. As obedient children, verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. <clears throat> you say, Brother Don, are we supposed to fear God? Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Fear has a double meaning. It has respect and it has knocking knees as a, double, as a definition. I respect God because I fear his paddlings. I respect God because he loves me. I respect God for his sacrifice for me. But I respect God because I'm going to have to stand before him one day. I fear God because I'm going to have to stand before him one day and give an account. So the more, most important attribute of God is his holiness. But here's a second thought. God is greater than his creation. We see that here, don't we? Look what he did to the mountain. <laughs> Matter of fact, they found that mountain. It's burnt. It's in Arabia, by the way, not in the Sinai Peninsula. It's in Arabia. <clears throat> the New Testament tells you where it is. It's burnt all up on top. They found, he even found the cave where Elijah hid. They even found the rock where water came out. Can you believe that? Amazing. Amazing to see these things. God is greater than his creation. Just how much bigger is your God than you? <clears throat> In verses 16 through 20, back in Exodus chapter 19, we read the following. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. 
and the Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. <clears throat> and when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up. For many Christians... God is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace and care, patience, long-suffering, and goodness. Oh, they know that he created the world, but they don't really understand what that means. It is because they have a puny God. Is your God puny? Look at the words used to describe God's self-introduction to the children of Israel. They did not know him before God brought them out of Egypt. And they definitely did not know him like he was until he laid aside all of Egypt's false gods, divided the water, and brought them here. I heard of David's, David Crockett's self-introductory speech. I'm half man, half alligator, and a little tetch with a snapping turtle. Okay, that's not our God. God's self-introduction is quite amazing. Look, verse 16. Thunders, lightnings, thick cloud. A voice of a trumpet exceeding loud. Verse 18. Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke. God descended upon it in fire. Smoke ascended as the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. Verse 19. The voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed ever louder. Does this sound like the man upstairs? Does this sound like a God who looks like a grandfather who is sitting on a rocking chair? <clears throat> Does this sound like a weak, impotent, nondescriptive force in the universe? <laughs> Watch. Does this sound like your God? Do you know him like this? Or do you only go visit him in the complaint department? <clears throat> now, I see him there often. I'm so glad on his complaint department door. He does not have a sign that says complaint department 300 miles with an arrow pointing that way. What is God doing here? He is showing the Israelites that they should fear him. And they did. Verse 18. Or verse 16, excuse me. All the people that was in the camp trembled. So that Hebrew word is a very special word. And slaying, that means that they could hardly walk because their knees were knocking. 
Just how much do you respect or fear God? I've mentioned this once already. You say, Brother Don, are we supposed to be afraid of God? Yes. Yes. The fear of the Lord has a double meaning. It means to respect and honor Him, but it also means to fear Him. If you fear Him, you will sin less. If you really fear Him, you will get rid of any evil habits in your life. If you are afraid to disobey Him, then you will be faithful in church. Be faithful in your tithing. Be faithful in witnessing. Be faithful in confessing your sin. And be faithful in not being critical of one another. Or judging one another. You know why? Because the ground before God is level. Anyone, let me say this. Anyone who sets themselves up above someone else and says, Oh, and starts criticizing someone else has just made that person God or just made yourself God <laughs> I don't think what that person did is right I can't agree with that oh my goodness who do we think we are we have just forgotten that God saved us from our sins. And by the way, the person you're, you're criticizing, not forgiving, critical against, have malice towards, or an unforgiving heart towards, <clears throat> and you think you're better than that person is, watch, because in you is the capability of the same thing that you're criticizing them of. And much, much worse. <clears throat> Did you know you have the capability and within your old sinful nature to commit the worst, most heinous sin you could ever think of? It's there. That's why you need salvation. And every single one of us is right there on that same level. We have no business. We have no right to be critical of one another. Why? Because God's holy, and every one of us must give account of himself to the Lord. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. We get critical and unforgiving of other people because we don't fear God. <clears throat> the church in Nenagin faced this. <clears throat> That's why God removed their candlestick. Someone has said, a child of God should fear nothing but displeasing his heavenly father. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So let me say this. Is there a particular sin with which you have trouble? I mean, it just keeps rearing its ugly head in your life. Bitterness? griping, complaining, <clears throat> malice towards someone else, unforgiveness, greed, pride. Do you know why you keep fighting the same sins over and over in your life? 
it's because you do not fear God. Psalm 7, verse 11 says, God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Listen to me carefully, please. Go, don't ever think that God's willingness to forgive us does not mean that he is not angry at our pride, our greed, our bitterness, our griping, our complaining, or our unfaithfulness. Let me repeat that. <clears throat> Don't ever think that God's willingness to forgive us does not mean, or, or means that he, does not mean that he is not angry at our pride, that he is not angry with our greed, that he's not angry with our bitterness. He's not angry with our griping and complaining, and he's not angry with our unfaithfulness to him. Jesus himself said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, verse 28. We should fear him. <laughs> Because he not only judges the saved, he also chastises his children. And he does it because he loves us. But we should fear those chastisements. They're not fun. I fear his spankings. And I've had a few. That fear helps me to be faithful to my God. It should help you to be faithful to your God. So what does the lack of fear cause? The lack of fear of God causes wrong responses towards God. Verses 20 through 24, this is the most unusual section of Scripture I have ever read. Look at this. Verse 20, Exodus 19. And thou shalt teach the... Whoops. <clears throat> that was verse 18. Excuse me. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God himself answered, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord said, uh, came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down. Now wait a minute. God just called him up and tells him to go turn around and go back down. Well, why? I, I just... Moses is thinking this too. Go down, charge the people lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priest also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, the people cannot come up. I'm basically saying I don't understand. They can't come up. You told us not to come up. You told us to set bounds. So we can't come up. And God says, Go down and tell them not to go over those bounds. Obviously, some were thinking of it. They wanted to see God. And the Lord said, verse 24, And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So the lack of fear causes wrong responses towards God. It causes us to bring God down to our level. 
It causes us to use God as a heavenly Walmart. I have these requests. Let's go shopping with God. It causes us to make him less important in our lives than he should be. It causes us to try and control him instead of giving him the control of our lives. It causes us to disobey God. Beloved, do you see areas in your life where you are disobeying God? Could it be for the same reason that some of the Jews wanted to disobey God's boundaries? Do you have a small view of God? If your God is puny, then you will find it very easy to disobey him. If your God is puny, you'll even find it very easy to be mad at him about something. However, if your God is a great and holy and mighty and majestic and a fearful God, then you will be thinking a lot about your accountability to him. God is love, yes. But his love is ruled by his holiness. God is merciful, yes. But his mercy is ruled by his holiness. God is gracious, yes. Hallelujah for his grace. But his grace is ruled by his holiness. God is a forgiving God, yes, and praise God for his forgiveness. But his forgiveness is ruled by his holiness. You say, how is that? That is why Jesus came to earth, right? God's holiness and love met together in Jesus on the cross. God's holiness judged our sin. God's love opened a way for us to be saved. Praise God for his holiness. Amen. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word. It is mighty and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of our thoughts and the intents of our hearts. I pray that it will be that, so, that way today with us. Give us an understanding of where we are today, right now, in our relationship with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Brother Don, <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> I don't believe I've ever seen God like that. And because I haven't, 
I've become somewhat mushy in my walk with him. And I'd like to tighten things up. I would like to show God more respect in my life by keeping myself clean of sin, by confessing it when I realize I have sinned against him and not carrying it around. I want to make sure that because of the holiness of God that I walk with him in a submissive and obedient way with a clean heart. And I'm going to work really hard at doing that. By the way, that is your choice. <laughs> and I want to choose to do that today. And you would, as Haley pray, plays quietly, as Haley plays quietly for us right now, you would say, Brother Don, pray for me. By the way, would you pray for Jill and I that we all would do this? Anyone like that with the uplifted hand? Praise the Lord all over, all over. Thank you. Is it well with your soul between you and God? Take a moment while she pray, plays and pray. Make things right with God right now. says, Brother Don, I don't know God at all. I don't know him as my Heavenly Father. I don't know him as my Savior. I have no personal relationship with him at all. But I would like one. Would you please pray for me? With the uplifted hand, would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me. Anyone at all? Is it well with your soul? thank you for the privilege of looking into your word. Help us to walk in such a way that all is right between us and you and that we walk in the confidence of a personal and clean and free relationship with you. In Christ's name we pray.